Welcome to Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. Here's the guy who asks all the right questions. Your host, Ralph DeLugas. Hello, hello. Welcome to another exciting episode of Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. Truth is better than lies. We got to change. We got to change the show name to that um, because it is. And I want to talk a little bit about truth before we jump in. I want to. I think you know. I look like many of you around at, at women. Women of all things. I mean, God's greatest creation. Women going potty on cop cars and just the, the mayhem and the horrible stuff going on everywhere. And I'm just, I find myself just like a little bit baffled, right? Like I'm sure many of you do. And I think in order to understand the present day, we need to understand our history. And I don't just mean like history, like in the sixties or history turn of the century. I mean, history going all the way back to Adam and Eve and even through like uh, ancient you know Hebrews I want to talk a little bit about a, a man named a king named Manasseh today um you guys know how I love Isaiah this would be the uh, less than kind king that sawed him in half on a, kind of an interesting side note before we get started on anything else I'll, <laughs> I I think this is so interesting I learned this from a friend of mine uh, Eric Smith who's a, a very studious scriptorian um I we, we hear about prophets being sawn asunder, and I guess it's just maybe from the magician. You know, you did, did you know how Isaiah was sawn asunder, Brian? I mean, you're you're kind of a good sounding board. I know Joe uses you a lot for that. We like putting Brian on the spot. <laughs> Isaiah was sawn asunder. We know he was cut in half by Manasseh. That was how he died. Um, and I just always assumed, uh, you know, that would be miserable no, ma- no matter how no matter how it happened, but. As I understand it, the way this happened is they started between his legs and sawed up. Now, I can't think of a more miserable way. I guess he, they made it a good amount through his torso before I, I, sorry to put that on you guys. That's probably not a great thing to share, but little tidbit for those of you that like obscure, uh, I think the more we know about the things that happened in Holy Writ, it's just kind of adds, adds, I mean, look at what that guy sacrificed, right? It's, it, it's an interesting story all the way through. But I want to talk a little bit about Manasseh and what drove him. As I understand it, Manasseh is son of Hezekiah. Is that right, Brian? Does that sound right? I'm pretty sure Manasseh was son of Hezekiah. And we know what an amazing, great king Hezekiah would be after the order of like a King Benjamin, those who know who he is, or, or King David before he fell. A great, 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 righteous, good king. Well, his son couldn't have been further from that. So it's interesting how that happens and why. And I think it has a lot to do with our day. But before we get into that, I want to talk just briefly. I'm going to skim over some of these because I I don't know. Some of these are just a bit much. We, we can't not talk about the United Nations. This is under UnitedNationsNewWorldOrder.com. This is actually their website, um, which is a little weird. That It seems like I don't know. I am more and more starting to believe that 2020 is the year where evil kind of unmasks itself. It seems like it is a year to see. A year to see. If you won't see this year, you're just not going to see. Um, so the United Nations, you've have you you've heard probably about the happy, oh what do they call it, Brian? The happy. It's in here. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, this this is the. Um, 
the uh, initiative. The United Nations New World Order Project is a global high-level initiative founded in 2008 to advance a new economic paradigm, a new political order, a more broadly an, a more broadly new world order for humankind, which achieves the UN global goals for sustainable development by 2030 and the happiness, well-being and freedom of all life on earth by 2050. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it, Brian? I would. <laughs> that sounds good. Here it is. Happy-talism. Instead of, instead of capitalism, this is happy-talism. Like, who wouldn't be for happy-talism? I can't even say it. <laughs> Everybody has a right to be happy, right? I think they left a word out. I think we have a right to pursue happiness. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot here, but... Making a total impact across the globe. Uh, hashtag 10 billion happy by 2050. And they've got pictures of laughing children. Man, this is creepy. This is creepy from top to bottom. Um, COVA pass. Uh, the COVA pass is, uh, this is a company. Oh, wait, this is this is also through the UN. This is on the same website. Uh, part of happy tillism. They're calling it the COVID pass, how COVID pass works. I apologize, I don't have my glasses today. As a secure digital health passport, COVID pass links, displays a, certif a certified COVID-19 test result to the user's health and immu immunoresponse. They keep making, these guys keep making up words. It's hard to read these words when they're making up words as we go. Um, happy to listen. That's not a word, UN. Okay, quit making up words. It's bad enough you you redefine the words that we already use and and use them to mean things that don't that they don't mean. You can't make up words for your nonsense. But anyway, immunoresponse. Anyway, I'm not going to try to say it. Using a secure biometric gateway, allowing individuals to return to work and life safely and more quickly. COVID pass biometric access on a mobile phone or held on a key. Key fab or RFID provides a unique gateway for government and health services and businesses to ensure safety at work. You know, this is so creepy. COVA passes the new digital health passport powered by the revolutionary and patented V code and V platform. I don't know who patented that, but I could take a wild guess, but I won't. Technology that was developed by the multi-award-winning oh, British cybersecurity first VST enterprise. Wow. I'm sure we know who funds that, right? And we're going to talk about that in a minute is what the source of these things are and why. Because I think it's important to know that. Otherwise, it becomes a, a lot more easy to just sink into despair. I, I had some interesting conversations with some of my wife's friends last night. She had a little get-together of somebody's birthday. And it's always interesting. These are, I don't want to say Salt Lake liberals, but a couple of her friends are more liberal. My, my wife's a... She came here from Toronto and she lived in New York for a long time. So she's she's not a liberal. She's 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 not really in anything. She's just a, a good woman that, you know, that discerns pretty well, in my opinion. But she has all sorts of friends. And to talk to a lot of these people, it's just really interesting. The angst and despair and the fear and how utterly baffled people are at what they're seeing. And I, I had a really long conversation. And, you know, me, me and two of these gals in particular, which were a long ways apart. I mean, we would never agree politically. We were, you know, after a bit of discussion, we 
we, we were definitely on the same page. And I think we can have these reasonable conversations if we understand the nature of what we're dealing with. Anyway, before we get there, there were, where is that article? There was one in particular. Oh, here we go. Uh, this is from physics. No, this is from NASA's website. Magnetic fields, this is the title, magnetic field forcing new perspective on the center of our Milky Way galaxy. You guys know this is one that absolutely drives me crazy. Um, cornerstone fundamental teaching of the kingdom of Satan, in my humble opinion, is that the center of our galaxy is a supermassive black hole. There is no proof for this whatsoever. Listen, listen, listen to this. This is the first couple lines of the article. The area around the, su the supermassive black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy is dominated by gravity. And that's based on absolutely nothing, by the way, on their opinion. But it is not the only force at play. According to new research from NASA's Airborne Telescope, the Stratospheric uh, uh, Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, or SOFIA, magnetic fields are strong enough to control material moving around inside of the black hole. Well, that's interesting. A what field? A magnetic field. Hmm. What is it that creates magnetic fields? Oh, I know. Electricity traveling. Traveling through the Birkeland currents that runs our university or our, uni our entire universe. It runs every star. We've talked about this so much. So here they're saying, because you can see a magnetic field with uh, with the right sort of cameras. You can see gamma radiation. You can see these sort of things because a magnetic field um, is, is um, it's hard to explain, but kind of like, you know, there's different cameras that can pick up different kinds of light. We can actually see the magnetic field. We can't go out there and, and you know, we don't have super long uh, leads that we can measure the voltage, but by the strength and the size and the magnitude and the effect of a magnetic field, we can roughly estimate how much power is there. So now they're saying they can see inside of this black hole, which is the dark toroidal structure in the center of our galaxy, which is true. Every, every uh, high energy body has a toroidal uh, shape around it, including the human body, every living cell, every living thing, every animal has the same, roughly the same toroidal shape. Um, where the centripedal and the centrifugal meet, that center section is, it would look uh, void. And that's what they call a, a supermassive black hole. And they admit that there's a, a massive magnetic field in there. But still, we claim that this is gravity. This is heresy. It's absolute nonsense. And it drives me crazy. Another example of why we uh, should honestly pay him no mind. We're running up against the break. And we will finish our discussion on this after the break. Okay, everybody, welcome back after that short break. Um, we're going to leave the uh, pet peeve topic of mine of black holes and talk about something else that I've always found very anomalous, and that is the age of our universe. Um, here's another article from physics.org. Hubble makes a surprising find in the early universe. Have you noticed that these guys are always surprised? They're always surprised by what they observe because... What they observe never matches their stupid model that their computer cooked up, right? The made-up nonsense that they made up in their computer to explain everything. And they're always surprised when the 
But it's never a problem. Like we're intrigued. We're surprised and intrigued by the fact that everything you've paid us to say is a fat lie. But it's okay because we're intrigued and it's all good. It's just nonsense. Anyway, Hubble makes a surprising find in the early universe. Um, this is a little bit meaty, but but basically um, – uh, among the anomalies, and I think we might have talked about this before, are stars like Methuselah star, which Methuselah star is not that far from us. I think it's a couple hundred light years. It's in our Milky Way galaxy. According – think about – just think of this. M many of you probably know uh, how horribly amiss carbon-14 dating is, right? There's been instances where people have pulled a piece of basalt from Mount St. Helens, which was obviously formed – when Mount St. Helens erupted, which is what, like 80s, I think, 1985 or somewhere in there. So this piece of basalt would be 20 years old and they take it to the, the you know, the, the most reputable carbon-14 dating lab at NIST or Harvard or whatever it is. And they come back with dates of 2.7 million years, right? First they ask, you know, where'd you find this? And so now, now they won't even carbon-14 uh, date anything because they've been so discredited. Unless they carbon date it for someone that they know is going to follow their story. So we can't even accurately date a rock that we can put in our hand and that's physically in front of our faces. But yet we're going to pretend that they know how old a star is that's billions of light years away. Like, <laughs> okay. But anyway, assuming that that was correct, um, we have stars that are 15, 16 billion years old. Methuselah star, I believe, is 15.6 or something like that, billion years old. But the Big Bang, they say with great confidence, was 13.8 billion, uh, billion years ago. So they never really offer uh, an explanation for this other than they're intrigued by it. I'm not sure why that's intriguing. Um, usually when – you're proved wrong. I don't know what that should, really shouldn't be intriguing. But so, so anyway, I guess the, the point of this is we need to teach we need to teach our uh, teach our kids at home. I, I think it's really interesting. I like to point to Galileo. Many of you probably know this story. Um, uh, when we look back to what was it like 1630, Galileo faced uh, an inquisition from the Catholic Church, who was basically they were. Kind of like the Sanhedrin at the time of Christ, they were the uh, ruling body both ecclesiastically and pretty much politically at that time, right? Um, and he believed that the earth revolved around the sun, which this was heresy um, at the time, uh, rather than the sun revolving around the earth. On June 22nd of that year, they handed down the following sentence. We pronounce, judge, and declare that you, the said Galileo, have rendered yourself vehemently suspect of this holy office of heresy, that is, of having believed and held the doctrine, which is false and contrary to the holy and divine scriptures, that the sun is the center of the world, and that it does not move from east to west, that the earth does move, and is not the center of the world. They sentenced him to three years in prison, and he spent the rest of his life under house arrest. The Catholic Church didn't even admit that he was right until some 300 years later. Um, you know, frankly, we, we have been marinating in a sauce of carefully constructed lies all of our lives. Our history is completely rewritten. Science, more often than not, is riddled with deliberate falsehoods to camouflage the bars that make up our prison. We need men like Galileo. I have honestly, personally, no doubt that Galileo was inspired in his beliefs. 
Um, I think he listened to the voice within instead of, you know, the voices without. And I think this we must all learn to do. We can't look at the corrupt rulers of our world to guide us. We can't trust the media to guide us. To be honest, I think it's clear that we can't look to anything to guide us. And I, I think, honestly, that includes religions. We must find and forge a character conducive of personal revelation, constant personal revelation uh, between us and God, or we won't survive. That may sound kind of familiar. I think I've heard someone else say that, but um, I think this has never been more true. I mean, God is the source of all truth. Who is the life and light of this world? The Lord is. And he can literally change our natures and change our lives. Um, I'm not sure. Sorry for going. That was actually a little bit more into Galileo than I wanted to go. But I, I think it's such an excellent example of how important it is and how how the political kingdom can just, you know, take over everything. And they, they won't hear anything different. And it's it's part of the paradigm that keeps us imprisoned, right? So anyway, I want to I wanna think, uh, oh, you know, there is one other. Uh, uh, oldest, uh, largest, oldest Mayan monument suggests importance of communal work. I am always so fascinated by these ancient megalithic structures. I wish I knew for sure. I've, I've spent a fair amount of time studying uh, the Universal Model Dean Sessions, and a lot of those guys uh, believe that this earth is 6,000 years old. They believe literally that God created it uh, 7,000 years ago, which I know what the scriptures say. And I, I can't say one way or another. I, I know Dean personally. He's a great guy. Genuinely, you won't meet a nicer guy. Um, but there is a lot of proof out there that makes me believe uh, also equally in this uh, cyclical catastrophe. There's so many ancient civilizations. For instance, let's take these guys uh, down in South America. These megaliths, I, I've studied the one in, uh, is it Machu Picchu? Oh, it's the big one up on the cliff. I might have that name wrong, sir. I don't have notes in front of me for this. But um, I spent a lot of time studying this because I'm kind of a numerology nerd. I love numbers and I love math. And it is absolutely amazing. There are there are structures down there with huge blocks of, um, of stone that have been hauled from hundreds and hundreds of miles away with no discernible way of hauling it that weigh hundreds, even thousands of tons we could not haul these stones today. We have no rail car in existence that could haul a stone of this size. No way we could haul it. We couldn't helicopter it, We could, let alone put it up on top of this cliff, right? 18,000 feet up. So these stones, not only are they massive, they're cut with amazing precision, fitting together some of them on 36 sides. Now think about that. Just, just, just imagine cutting down a tree and making little blocks and fitting them together. Not all of them, by the way, have 36 sides to randomly. It's funny. They always pick numbers. Three plus six equals nine. They, for some reason, had the same sort of fascinations that Tesla had with three, six and nine. Uh, what Marco Roden calls uh, vortex mathematics and as well as the golden ratio, uh, 1.618 over one. Um, this is everywhere in all of their designs, right? So take a 36-side stone, one 18, one of them 15. All these different sizes are just little blocks and fit them together perfectly, right? So good that no mortar is needed and you still can't slide a piece of paper between any of these to this day. And yet we're to believe these guys did this with a hammer and chisel 
and a bunch of slaves? Are you kidding me? I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer. That's what I do by, by trade. And I have five-axis machining centers out there in my shop that are computer and servo-driven. I would have a heck of a time. I would spend a very, very great amount of time to just make this on a small scale with our very best technology. But these guys did it way back then. It's amazing. Um, if you like this sort of stuff, this article is uh, from the University of Arizona. Um, we're going to run out of time in this segment, and I don't want to get too much into it because I want to talk about Manasseh and some other things. But cool, cool stuff. There is no doubt that man was advanced before. Um, these buffoons are not the smartest men that have ever lived. They're, they're the most evil men possibly that have ever lived, but not the smartest. Um, we will talk a little bit more about Manasseh and uh, the kingdom after this short break. everybody welcome back you are on the loving liberty network i am your humble truth-seeking host ralph delugas um i want to shift gears there was one actually you know i, I heck I'm, let me let me just quickly talk about this last article because i think this is just this is just such a great snapshot of how nonsensical a lot of this is we have again invented a new particle um, they like to invent particles because these computer models never match what we observe. So we come up with bosons and dark matter and all these all these particles that have never been observed. Uh, a bunch of math that they know most people could never understand. So they just fill up page after page of meaningless equations and claim they've invented a new particle. Um, well, this one is called – I just like the name, so that's why I want to talk about it. This new fancy, fancy, uh, fantasy particle is called a gravity ball. These are when two gravitons circle each other and collide, and they make a bigger particle. They're saying not only has gravity honestly never been observed, it's electromagnetic. You know, I think this is important because as we teach our kids how the Earth works, we look at things like gravity and light, and we think these things are all just elementary and that they're solved and that we know exactly what they are. We don't. You'd be hard-pressed to go, go to any university professor and have him correctly and thoroughly explain magnetism and how it works or gravity. Now hear this article from a oh, bunch of colleges, University of Virginia, um, University of Nantes, um, uh, oh, French University. Um, bunch of Kingdom of Corruption financed uh, professors who no doubt are brilliant men. Um, but they need to get paid, so they keep writing these articles, keeping dark matter alive, which is just another spinoff from, you know, black holes and all the other stuff. To, in my opinion, hide the fact that there is a creator in this universe, a creative force, and that you are sons and daughters of of Elohim. Um, so we've created this whole paradigm. Here are these gravity balls. Um, Gravity is in my – and this is my opinion and I've, this is based on – I mean a lot of other people I've heard state similar things. We can observe – and I like basing an opinion on observations, right? Isn't that what science is? We can observe the massive current 
flowing through our Earth. We can actually measure it. We have measured it. Uh, outside of the ionosphere, this is some 140 million giga electron volts per square meter. That's a phenomenal amount of power. One meter, one meter of this power, if we could harness it, would run the entire Earth, all of our electrical grids for a year. One meter of that power. That power is flowing 24-7 through the Earth. Well, if you've ever done experiments with a current um, and, and uh, flowing current around um, things like iron, like you wrap a wire around a nail, you, you hook it to a battery, what happens? You get a magnet, right? Well, you've seen your Swiffer sweeper push around the kitchen. That static electricity causes all things to stick to it, right? Not just things that are what we call quote-unquote magnetic, magnetic. And by the way, everything reacts to magnetism, not just iron or, or carbon metals or non-ferrous metals, etc., so we have this massive current flowing through our Earth, creating an incredible magnetic field. Could this not be the force we call gravity? Well, it would make one heck of a lot more sense than gravity balls, but it's fun to say gravity balls, so we'll keep talking about them. Um, shifting gears, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Manasseh. Um, I believe he was son of Hezekiah. This is in uh, the ancient, uh, this is in the, uh, oh, Manasseh was probably about 7, 720 uh, BC, um, probably roughly about 100, 150 years before Nephi and Lehi, those that know who that is. Um, and he was a king that took over after uh, Hezekiah died, and he quickly changed the workings of the kingdom. This was, this was still... Uh, uh, the, the Jewish kingdom, or the this was the kingdom of Judah, actually, in uh, Jerusalem. They were still somewhat righteous. Well, he decided to go back to, um, like in the times of Baal, um, those of you that remember Elijah that have read that story and his little confrontation with the priests of Baal. Israel, like so many other uh, uh, political kingdoms, would fall into darkness and then repent when they had a lot of hard times and sometimes they would fall into darkness again and you know kind of the whole cyclical good evil cycle that we see happening and happen in civilizations well manasseh one wicked uh king or a set of wicked king a set of wicked priests and their king can do amazing amounts of harm and here we have another case of that manasseh sunk so far so fast he actually began uh, to dabble again in the worship of Baal and these pagan gods, he sacrificed his own son on an altar in the Headman Valley, where again, a human sacrifice began to be widespread. And, and this is horrible. I mean, they would perform human blood sacrifices. And I apologize if there's any children listening. This might be a good time to uh, give them a Give them a coloring book and some crayons in the other room. But I think it's important to understand what evil is, especially in this world, because, guys, it hasn't gone anywhere. It's gone underground. It might be hiding very well, but it is very much alive and well in our world. So let's talk about what we know about this from that world, and maybe we can draw some parallels to this world. So they, they would perform these blood sacrifices um, basically to Satan. Uh, the most vile forms of abuse, sexual torture, they would put as much pain into their victims as possible and then sacrifice them in an offering to their dark gods. And in exchange for this, this covenant, they would actually be making a covenant similar to those that make covenants with the God of heaven, right? We, we, 
when we get baptized, we make a covenant to follow him. Well, these guys are making a covenant to go the opposite direction. Um, and they do it in the most vile, filthy, dark way. And in exchange for this, they make this covenant and they get wealth, power, and dominion in this Satan's fallen world, this fallen kingdom of Babylon we call Earth. Um, this philosophy, this this church of Satan, if you will, hasn't gone anywhere. I've I, I don't want to be the I don't want to be a real downer, and I honestly don't like talking about Satan and Cain and and how they rule. But I, I think if we don't understand it, then I think it's important to know know our enemy. And these uh, these dark families that have ruled for a very long time, I can't speak with any authority. I've heard them. The best intel, if you will, I think that I've ever heard was from uh, John John Lear. Is that his name? The son of CEO uh, Lear Learjet. He's uh, got a really long, interesting, colorful story. Not a great deal of light comes from uh, interviews that I've seen from him, but I think he tries to be honest. And he talks about this group uh, being MJ-12 or Majestic-12, that these are very, very old ruling families. I couldn't pretend to know their names. I do not believe people like even Bill Gates and the Clintons. I don't think they have a seat at this table. These families, maybe Rothschilds, I doubt Rockefellers, but who knows? It doesn't matter what their names are. It just kind of matters that we know what their goals are, right? So these these ruling families have controlled, you know, the currencies of the world for a very, very long time. We know they meet in Switzerland, um, I believe. Um, and we're not going to unseat these guys. These guys aren't going to go away. They have made covenants with the most dark evil um, to continue to rule, and they, they probably believe they're doing good. And so when these guys, with their unlimited amounts of money, decide it's time for – I think this is, this is why we, we, we're not going to vote this problem away. No election is going to change this. Not that we ever stop doing those things. We keep doing what we know to be right. We keep voting. We keep talking about liberty because that's who and what we are, and we never give this fight up ever, ever, ever. Um, but we do have to know our enemy. The good news is we'll talk about that in the last segment because I like to talk about good news. But th this MJ-12, you call them Illuminati, call them deep state, call them whatever you want. Um, when they decide, uh, I'll say let, let's use my state for an example, our Governor Fudd here, he's – He's uh, getting ready to uh, let everybody carry uh, concealed weapons uh, openly and get rid of the concealed carry permit program, which to me is an abomination and contrary to the Constitution. He's getting ready to sign this into law. Well, they decide that's a bad idea. They just call their team up into action. And I guarantee you that Governor Fudd or your governor where you're at or your local legislature will always fall in line. Why? Because this group rules through money. At least that's their first uh, first means of uh, of operation. If that doesn't work, of course they can go way darker there, and they often do. Um, but Satan and, and Cain rule through these dark ruling families through the use of money, and that is, in my opinion, who is behind these these organized. I don't want to call them protests, riots. Um, I think a lot of these kids, I've, I heard a lot of people, well, we're, we're going to run out of time, so we'll, we'll talk about that after the break. I want to talk a little bit about schools and what the good news is. And we have got a lot of good news, so fear not. And we will try to talk about some light things after this short break. We'll see you then. 
Okay, everybody, welcome back. Um, I want to end our segment. We, we talked a little bit about the the ruling families that govern our world and the powerful influence they have. Um, I, I know a lot of my uh, I'm trying to fumble through my notes here. I apologize. Um, I know, I like in in my little neighborhood. I, I don't want to call them a militia or they're not a militia per se, but we have a loose kind of a, in my Christian church, we have an emergency preparedness program and we have a, a more diligent man than in this, in this particular calling than probably most that are in this particular calling. And he, um, has loosely organized 15 of us or so that are, I guess, preppers, if you will. And I, I know some of these things, I mean, it, it, it's deliberately made, and they've d- deliberately orchestrated this to make us angry, right? When when we become angry, we lose all of our power. And when I see somebody burning down another person's business, um, it makes me mad, honestly. I, I know how hard I work to build my business. And if someone were to just come through here and burn it to the ground because they say it's unfair or whatever, you know um, – so I understand these guys' anger, but when when they were some of these protesters were talking about going to the uh, uh, going to you know the suburbs and we're going to burn them down next and all this stuff, a lot of my my neighbors that I talked to are like, yeah, I hope they come here. We ought to meet them halfway. We'll be ready for them. And I I heard them say some very. And I know they don't mean it. You know, you guys have probably heard stuff like that too. And I know they don't. They're not really going to saddle up and go. You know, but we, we've all heard, you know, the prophecies from men like Joseph Smith and so forth of civil war. And so I'm when I hear talk like this, I'm like, you know, it's really, you know, vengeance is really easy, frankly. And it's not our place. Vengeance is not ours. Judgment and vengeance is not ours to make. Um, charity is far more difficult. And it is the path, in my opinion, of true warriors like General Washington and so forth. But um, <clears throat> I cannot find my notes of what I want to talk about here. So I'm going to skip over the rest of this um, and talk just really briefly about uh, a climber named Aaron. Uh, this is a story that happened in Utah. And I think there's a lot of parallels that we could glean from this to, to, uh, to our little world and the problems that we have. Um, this is the guy who got pinned. You probably you know this story, Brian. I, was it near Hanksville, I think, or something like that? There was a, this was a climber. Those that don't know the story, he was climbing. Was not He was admittedly not prepared. He was just going out for a little day climb. Uh, had a couple burritos and a little bit of water. And he was climbing up the mountain and had a boulder shift on him, and it pinned him. Pinned his, uh, uh, his hand and, and part of his wrist. And he tried – I won't tell the whole story, but – Suffice it to say, he tried in vain for a very long time. He was he was here for six days, and I would imagine after a couple of days, his as his strength ebbed. We all know how hot it gets in southern Utah. I don't I don't recall what time of year this was, but it really doesn't matter if you're out there and it's not snowing. It's probably at least 90 degrees or hotter. And so, without water, without food, and exhausted, and in an insane amount of pain, I'm sure, because if you've ever had a bad hand injury or a foot injury. They're extremely painful, lots of nerves, lots of pain. Um, and he, um, I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but as he neared the end of this uh, 
this um, ordeal, I believe this was the sixth day, he, uh, he knew he was going to die and had accepted it, had resigned to this himself to this fate. You know, it, it's amazing. We have, I've heard it said that nothing's more powerful than the will to live. Well, I, I think, <clears throat> I think this good, good brother kind of proves that wrong. Um, because as he had accepted that he's going to die, he'd engraved his, his name and I think the day's date into the canyon wall. Um, he'd made a short little video with his camera for his family telling them goodbye. And he knew that on the morrow he was going to die. And so he was kind of in and out of consciousness, no, no doubt delirious from exhaustion and pain and maybe a little loss of blood and, and uh, dehydration. So he was fading in and out of consciousness and he had a dream. And in, <clears throat> in this dream, he saw himself uh, picking up with one hand a little uh, three-year-old boy. <clears throat> Sorry, I get touched at this stuff. And he knew in the dream that, that that son was his, or that little boy was his son. And he was, Aaron wasn't married. He had no plans of starting a family, no plans of getting married. I don't know a lot about his background, but he was very surprised, he said, to see that he had this son and he had this amazing love for him, right? And when he woke up, he knew what he had to do. He's like, I've got to live through this. I got a son. <clears throat> How amazing is that, right? So he proceeds to, uh, and, and in the dream, he had, he had the, uh, the revelation, if you will, of how to, because all he had was a little dull po pocket knife. So with this dull pocket knife, and sorry if this is a little graphic, but he, he cuts his, I'm sure puts a tourniquet on his hand, I would assume, and then uh, cuts his, amputates his, his arm uh, just above the wrist. Uh, knowing full well he couldn't cut through the bones, he uh, had a revelation on how to break the bones, um, which think about how hard that would be, right? And then he manages to make it out. Well, I think there's a lesson from this, and this was my point in sharing this story, that um, that power that is more powerful than the will to live is the will to love, right? I, I would I would love – I wish I knew this guy because I would love to ask him if what he gained – because he later married, to, to tell you the rest of the story, uh, fell in love, married, and has, has that son today. And they, they had a little boy. And he, as he tells the story, this little boy was the little boy he saw in his dream. I know that our posterity is around us helping us. I, I know that our future posterity is also around us helping us. And I have no doubt that this good, good brother on this particular day had the influence of heaven come down and show him what to do. Um, look at what he gained, right? He lost his hand and he had a really really bad week to say the very, very least. But I, I'll bet you anything, if you could track this guy down and ask him, he wouldn't trade what he lost for what he gained. Um, my point is here that, you know, we, we've got some hard times ahead. We, we see, you know, this COVID thing's not going to go away. They're not going to give away. They've put way too much effort in this. They're going to keep cramming us down our throat. They're going to try to make us take their creepy vaccine. They're going to try to control us. These riots, it's not hard to see this all coming. And if we've spent much time, you know, uh, prayerfully studying prophecy and, you know, scriptures and so forth, um, even those that don't, I think people are, are kind of get it. You know, we can see that things are, things are changing. We've got a rough road. And I think, um, 
I think there's a that it's not it's not all bad. It's it's all good, so, so to speak, right? I mean, what are the tribulations for? That they are a merciful Father's planned final attempt to get His children to ascend, to get us on track. Um, we know that this is a huge rotating classroom, and that a loving Father and, and Mother in heaven sent their children down here for some sort of purpose, right? Um, I, I had a discussion with my sons the other day, and I tried to explain it to them this way, that that um, you know they, they go to a, a private school, and they're actually back in school right now, and they're really pissed about it because all of their friends are home playing Fortnite, and they got to get up and go to school. And they're going to actually run well into the summer, and they're not real happy about this, right? Like, I don't blame them, but I try to tell them, look, me and your mother have made a big sacrifice for you to go to this school. And it's it's not perfect. They still teach Rockefeller science here, um, and we fix that at home. But, you know, the, the, the they don't teach gender equality, Marxism light, social justice. That garbage is not taught in this school. And in exchange for this, we pay a lot of money. And I tell them, hey, me and your mom have made a big sacrifice, kind of like our mother and father in heaven made uh, a big sacrifice to uh, for us to come to this school. And my, my sons will tell me, uh, I remember they, um, you know, I, I think all of us like elementary kids would prefer ease and comfort. You know, we would prefer things to be good forever and to not have to struggle, not have to suffer. But... If that were the case, there would be no growth, right? So we're, we're going to suffer through some hard things, but we chose this, and it's going to be fine. My boys pointed out, um, well, God's all-powerful in creating this world and sending us here wasn't hard for him, my sons tell me. He's God. And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, whoa, God didn't sacrifice? Are you kidding? <laughs> what, about, <clears throat> what about his son? What about seeing their beloved son suffer? like he did in the garden. What about additionally seeing all of us suffer with all of our various sufferings, with their giant Elohim hearts breaking? They suffer a lot. So um, lower his shoulder and let's get up and doing. This isn't going to be, this isn't going to be undoable. We've got some hard times in front of us, but I know we can make it. And uh, don't let fear take over. Uh, know that, that, uh, that the Black Lives Matter and the organizers of it are from the kingdom, and they're just it's a it's a five dimensional chess game, and evil will continue to rant and rail and, and do what they do, but they will not prevail in the end. Good will prevail over darkness, and it will all be well. So go spend some time with the family, enjoy the weather this weekend. Don't forget to read the good word and say your prayers and forge that character that we're all going to need to press on. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.